Industry Pods and Evergreen Podcast Network are pleased to present the following podcast. We'll hear now to shed some light on the regulatory headwinds decentralized finance may face. It's Minnesota's House of Representative Tom Emma with Dara Albright. Well, hello, everyone. It is such an honor to be moderating this fireside chat with Congressman Emmer from the great state of Minnesota, and who's also the co-chair of the Congressional Blockchain Caucus. Um, Congressman, you're our industry's probably one of our fiercest and staunchest advocates on the Hill. Uh, and I think it speaks volumes that one of our fiercest advocates on the Hill is also the one that is is perhaps also the most knowledgeable about this space as well. And I think that speaks volumes about the industry itself. So this is such an honor for me. Thank you for everything that you're doing on the Hill. Um, to, you know, I, I do think that this is such an important issue. One of the most important issues of our time is getting the regulations right in this space. Um, I do believe this is what will determine you know, of America's standing, you know, as a global superpower economic leader, you know, in the future, this is what's going to make or break it. So really, I could not thank you enough. So I guess we're going to run into some questions and I'm uh, really excited to hear all, all your thoughts here. So you ready to go? I am, Dara. And I just let me say, it's an honor for me to be with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So I had read that your personal journey into cryptocurrencies began with a book. And I was curious if maybe we could start by you talking a little bit about how that shaped your view of digital assets and blockchain technology and how important it is also just for lawmakers in, in general to be well read on this subject. Oh, well, that's two, two parts. The first one. You know, it's uh, I came to Congress about uh, seven years ago, and in my first year, I had a great staffer. You know, you have these young people that work with you; they can make or break you. You know, a, a good member of Congress is somebody who uh, actually has a great team around them because nobody does this on their own. Dara, uh, I never would have been exposed to this, but for that. Uh, well, maybe my kids might, but uh, sorry, they're calling votes uh, as we speak. But the, uh, it, it's an, an insane when these buzzards go off. The, uh, but the staff can make or break you. And I never would have been exposed to it, I don't think, except from a tangential perspective. Had it not been for a great staffer who was into this area already, who saw the promise, uh, obviously uh, Bitcoin, uh, the Satoshi uh, uh, mystery uh, goes back to 2008. But he gave me this book, The Age of Cryptocurrency, that, uh, you know, you give me a book, I'm going to read it. And I, uh, I was absolutely, uh, it just, it took off from there. It, it was one of those where you, uh, as a policymaker, Dara, you tend to think in silos, right? Uh, traditional. Uh, because I grew up in a two-dimensional world, right? I, I, I see paper that I used to put things on paper and I took that piece of paper and I put it in with other similar papers in a correspondence file, for instance. And then I took that correspondence file and I put it in a folder with all the other relevant materials to that topic. And then I took that big file and I put it in a file drawer. You know, the, the generation that has come up behind us, season 3D, they see more abstract. Their, their minds work much different, right? Uh, print is no longer the issue. They go out and find it or they create it. Uh, they see completely different uh, from my generation. And this just gave me an exposure 
to something that I said, you know what? This is the future. And by the way, the future has already arrived. And I, what I found instantly, uh, because after I read that book, this, the uh, staff uh, that I had, he looked at me and he said, you realize uh, if you're not the most knowledgeable now on this topic in Congress, remember, this is like six years ago. Right. He said that you're definitely in the top three to five. And I said, just because I read one book, he said, yeah, that's the problem. And so we started back then, and I, I'm happy to report it's picked up quite a bit since then, but we still have a ways to go because there are people out there that do, who do not understand, who believe false narratives. And as a result, uh, they're, I think, overreaching. They're overregulating. They're regulating or enforcing through public statements instead of uh, through the uh, normal rulemaking or, more importantly, legislating. So it's really important that we be involved right now and lean in. And that's what makes education so important. And, you know, it's such a great point that you make. And I think it's so interesting that the ones who are the, the most well-read and knowledgeable on the topic are the biggest advocates because they understand it the best. And that's, I think that just says something. Yeah. Now, you also recently stated that cash is a tool used even by ancient civilizations to specifically avoid intermediation and to preserve the values of individual liberty and privacy. You also went on to state that while cash is important to any open and free society, we are now in a digital age where digital transactions often make more sense. So I think that brings us really to the $100,000 question. And that is, how do we adapt to digital in, to digital innovation while also being able to maintain the privacy elements of cash? Well, it is a great question. I think this is the challenge of our time as we adapt uh, to a more digital economy. You know, people right now, uh, Dara, are, uh, Dara, sorry, uh, people right now, you know, their idea of digital. Uh, uh, banking, et cetera, is a, uh, just being able to transfer funds, right? It's a debit card. It's a, uh, it's a platform where I can send uh, money directly to you. Uh, but this is much bigger, right? Uh, if we're talking about uh, an exchange for value that is a digital substitute for cash or paper currency or minted currency, uh, uh, it's important that policymakers understand we have to maintain the privacy protections that uh, that cash provides. And the way to do that uh, is not the way that our government or governments around the world are predisposed to, uh, to go. And that is, it's decentralization. I believe decentralized technology can actually solve this problem. You know, in a world without cash, Transactions are mediated by financial institutions, right? The less cash, unfortunately, the more opportunity for surveillance. Uh, and right now in this, uh, this current administration, you know, they want to surveil actual cash deposits, uh, you know, of $600 or I think now they're saying 10,000. You should be very concerned, right? They want to hire 80,000 new, uh, new uh, IRS agents and they want to track people who literally are doing transactions on a monthly basis of $28 in their bank wow. account. They want to know what's going on. Imagine in a world without cash, uh, those same transactions that are mediated by financial institutions. Now you, uh, you have the ability to uh, conduct even more surveillance. 
and people may not even know about that, right? So how do we adapt to it? Again, decentralized technology like cryptocurrency and stablecoins, they're open, permissionless, and private. And this would allow citizens to continue to live in an open society while that society becomes more and more digitized. And I, I finish it with this, Dara. I think that that's going to be the battle, right? Uh, do we want to look like China, like the Communist Party of China and what they're doing with their central bank digital currency? Or, or for that matter, what they're doing in this whole area where they shut it down? Or do we want to be the United States of America where we trust our citizens, where we educate our citizens to think for themselves and we allow them to make those decisions? Not that there isn't a place for government, but it should be very light touch. So I, I think there's a way to do it. I don't know currently if we have people in our federal government that are predisposed to do it. And that's where uh, programs like this, people like you, we got to get the word out so people start learning what this is about to your first point. Because when they start to really understand the truth about what this is about, you know what? They become advocates for it. Right, right. They, they don't tend to take shots at it based on false narratives. They actually start to say, you know what? The opportunities this presents to bring people into the financial system, to give people the opportunity to raise capital that they never would have had under the traditional banking system, are the, uh, it's limitless, the opportunities that it presents. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And, I, and I, you know, I love your point on the CBDCs. And I think people really need to be aware of that and understand that, that that's scary. That is really scary. You know, a CBDC just digitizing a currency does not mean that it's a decentralized currency and people need to understand and make that distinction. Well, Dara, I think we better get the message out that when the uh, when the virus broke out uh, back in uh, the fall of 2000, uh, what was it, 19, uh, I believe, when it broke out, you know, in China, they just shut off the, uh, the financial, the digital financial stuff. So you couldn't go out and get a ride out of town, uh, pay for somebody to drive you. You couldn't pay for a hotel room for transportation. The government could literally lock you in place. Is that what we want in this country? No. No, scary stuff. So one of the biggest regulatory issues that I think we're facing right now too, especially in America, is that there really is still no clarity on just what exactly cryptocurrencies are. Are they commodities? Are they securities? Are they something else entirely? Now, you introduced a bill that would provide a clear definition of cryptocurrencies. And I thought maybe you could talk a little bit about that bill and where it is in the process. You know, I, I really appreciate this, Dara, because uh, this is what I've been saying ever since we go back to the beginning of this interview. Ever since I read the age of cryptocurrency, this has been the issue, whether it was the Trump administration or now the Biden administration trying to get uh, these uh, you know, people at Treasury, people at the OCC. I mean, the, what, the best partner I've had over the last couple of years uh, as someone who's trying to, to uh, do something, uh, I would have to say is Brian Brooks. Uh, Giancarlo was helpful. Uh, Hester uh, Purse has been uh, helpful. But, you know, uh, we don't have enough of these people. And you just hit it on the head. We have to define what digital assets are security, what digital assets are actually commodities, and what dig digital assets are actually uh, currency. Because as you know, the regulatory uh, structure treats each one of these a little bit different. It's uh, under a different jurisdiction, uh, different rules can apply, different laws can apply. And I think, uh, you know, unfortunately, 
uh, regulatory ignorance is sending innovation that should be in this country, like you've also said during this interview, it's sending it overseas, and it risks sending even more overseas. So we introduced something called the Securities Clarity Act. Uh, it was back in July that we put it in. I have uh, some of uh, my uh, Democrat co-sponsors, Darren Soto from Florida, Rokana from California. Uh, the bottom line is that this bill would amend our securities laws to distinguish a token from a securities contract it may or may not have been part of at one point. Hmm. It does this by creating a new definition of the law for, quote, investment contract asset. Tokens are investment contract assets. Uh, and we did this because, look, the SEC is regulating right now by enforcement action. Right, right. I mean, there, there's no rules. You, you've got uh, Gary Gensler over there just uh, picking and choosing, and, and in my opinion, what he's trying to do is create an all-encompassing jurisdiction that the SEC would have a say over everything uh, having to do with crypto, which is absolutely wrong. Uh, it shills innovation. It, like I said earlier, it pushes opportunities overseas or out of this country. Uh, with this bill, if, if we could get this, uh, this really small but very important significant change in the law, uh, Dara, entrepreneurs would have clarity when it comes to securities, uh, the clarity that they would need to innovate in the United States, which I believe would expand access to opportunity for all Americans, capital formation opportunities, employment opportunities, entrepreneurial opportunities, all kinds of things that, uh, that could help. And, you know, I look at it from this standpoint, and I disagree with uh, uh, Chair Gensler. Uh, he believes that most cryptocurrencies are securities. Uh, in fact, most cryptocurrencies are commodities after a project has been fully decentralized. So I think it's really important that uh, we have an opportunity to move the uh, Securities Clarity Act. And I'd like to say it's, it's moving through the committee and it's uh, going through the process. But right now, uh, we're using it mostly for education because they're, uh, unfortunately, the uh, I would have to question the goals of this administration since the beginning of the year uh, have not been towards this sort of thing. Uh, in fact, uh, as you know, it's all of the political stuff that's going on is literally sucking the air out of the room. And it's frustrating our ability to move really important stuff like this. Mm, yeah. So under that new um, definition, would the SEC have the jurisdiction or would it be another agency entirely? Well, it could be another agency entirely because if you, if you clarify this, right, uh, the idea would be that it's not a security all the time. And therefore, it should not, once it's been decentralized as a project, you know, it might start out looking uh, like a security, but it's, an, it's a smart investment contract, right? which means that it is not a traditional security. It might have some startup funds and then it breaks away and it becomes something totally different. It becomes a commodity, right? Uh, under that circumstance, it should be under the CFTC, should not be uh, under the SEC. Uh, again, the idea is, uh, and I've seen this as a problem generally, uh, we have all of these regulators that seemingly wanna have jurisdiction over crypto. Uh, and Gensler, and I shouldn't pick on him by name uh, because, uh, you know, his predecessor uh, had some uh, confusing statements as well, right? It's not like uh, this administration 
has been so much worse than the other one. Uh, the other one, we were trying to work with the Treasury Secretary, the last Treasury Secretary. We were trying to work with the last head of the SEC, but even they were struggling with this stuff, right? Now, the problem I have with this administration is they're not just struggling with it. Uh, the current chair of the SEC is suggesting that his bureaucracy has all, almost all the jurisdiction over cryptocurrency, and that's just not right. So if we could clarify this, we could start to put some rails in place so someone who is creating a future commodity doesn't get sucked into the requirements of the SEC, and by the way, uh, gets stuck in this what looks to be uh, a government, a, a, a constipation of action, right? Mm. They, oh, you're, you're, we're, we're investigating, we're researching your proposal. Well, guess what? Why would they do it here? At that point, I sat down with a guy months ago uh, down in Georgia. Uh, and will not disclose who. He knows who he is. We were having this very discussion, and he said, you know, because I can't be certain what the uh, U.S. government is going to require, I just started a $1.4 billion project in the British Virgin Islands. Hmm. That's yeah. the problem, Dara, is that we've got to make sure that that, that project should have been started in the United yeah. States of America. And that uh, that uh, entrepreneurial spirit, that innovator should have stayed right here in this country, creating opportunities, not just for himself, but for our citizens. All the jobs, all the, you know, that would have right. been created in here. Yeah, right. it's, it, it's, it's amazing. And, the, the, and, you know, the other thing, you know, you talk about the regulators and the SEC. The problem is, too, that, that coming out with a statement saying that, you know, Bitcoin, uh, we think maybe is not a security and other things are, they're in a way picking winners and losers, oh. too, which you can't have government doing that either. You are so spot on. Think about it. No other industry is regulated by conclusory public comments and threatened enforcement actions. It has to stop. I've already talked about Gary Gensler. You know, he wants to regulate crypto to the full extent of his authority, and then he wants Congress to grant him even more authority. Now he's coming after uh, DeFi and stablecoins. Uh, Janet Yellen, uh, the Secretary of the Treasury, she's the one, or her office is the one that actually lobbied Senator Portman's office for that provision in the bipartisan infrastructure bill that would have put reporting requirements on crypto entities that simply couldn't comply <laughs> because they weren't uh, possessing uh, cryptocurrencies. Uh, the current uh, head of the OCC wants to reevaluate fintech charters on a case-by-case -case basis. To your point there, Dara, the OCC should not be in the business of picking winners and losers. Right, right. Uh, and the, uh, the potential uh, nominee uh, for the OCC, uh, a uh, Cornell, Cornell law professor, uh, <laughs> Omarava, Rova, I believe is her name. She wants to quote, end banking as we know it. Right. And she thinks yeah, digital tokens perpetuate the quote, dysfunctional financial system we already has, have. She hates big banks. She hates crypto. Why, Dara, should she oversee the OCC? And I, I mean, even Jay Powell uh, at the Fed believes, uh, to our earlier discussion about central bank digital currencies, he believes if, or he said anyway, I know he's tried to walk it back, but he's made the statement that if the Federal Reserve would craft a central bank digital currency, we wouldn't have a need for crypto or stable coins. I, I mean, that's, that's crazy. Again, no other industry faces this much uncertainty caused by our government officials. 
Uh, and this is a space that I believe, because I've heard from many in the industry, that wants to be regulated. But the uncertainty right. is making it more difficult for entrepreneurs to innovate. And as we discussed, it's pushing opportunities outside of our country. You know, the solution, the solution is actually take the book that you read, wrap it up in a big bow, and that's everyone's Christmas gift this year. <laughs> right? Yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't have enough pictures in it, Dara. Right. People government <laughs> more pictures. So I, I want to, you know, you had mentioned DeFi there, and I, you know, I want to talk a little bit about that too, because there have been so many false narratives out there. You know, Bitcoin is bad for the environment. It's only used for illicit purposes. And we know this is not to be, this is not just not true. My, my fear is that, that DeFi is really next in line to be attacked with false narratives. So, and especially, you know, when we see crypto lending yields far outpacing, you know, conventional debt instruments. And my question to you is, what, if anything, is being done legislatively to protect yield seekers and retirement savers, especially during this period of record high inflation? Well, I mean, first, if you don't mind, let's talk about these uh, false narratives, right? When... Uh, when we hear cryptocurrency is bad for the environment, for instance, and the one that I've heard forever, it seems to be the default uh, in Congress, is that cryptocurrency is the only thing apparently that is used by the bad guys for illicit purposes, right? Uh, and by the way, the good news is this has started to change. But when I started six years ago, it was Republicans and Democrats who were talking like that. Every time you brought up uh, cryptocurrencies, every time you talked about Bitcoin or anything else, any of the other ones uh, or opportunities, I'd hear back something that made it sound like all of this is related to Silk Road. That's all people could, could uh, put their minds around. And it's, it, it is a false narrative. I mean, let's just address the, uh, the environmental thing, because to this morning, there's another article. Uh, that actually, there's two or three in the Wall Street Journal. But one of the uh, top articles in the Wall Street Journal is, again, on this energy issue that, uh, you know, uh, cryptocurrency mining is uh, causing all these problems and using all of this energy uh, worldwide. OK, let's talk about that. First, digital asset mining is not well understood by policymakers or I'm going to suggest the press. Hmm. Uh, fact, over half of Bitcoin mining actually comes from sustainable energy and digital asset mining currently. And I hold on to your, uh, your socks, hold on to your hat. Uh, Dara. Digital asset mining currently uses only 0.1% of the world's energy. I mean, think about that for a second. Sure. Proof of work blockchains do require a lot of energy to mine crypto. However, there is an industry trend toward proof-of-stake blockchains, which require minimal energy to validate crypto. So again, 0.1% of the world's energy, I'll tell you what, producing uh, paper cash, producing uh, coins uh, made out of metals, uh, it, I would argue that actually uses more energy uh, in the long run than, uh, than cryptocurrencies. Uh, then if we just talk about this, uh, just briefly address this illicit uh, use issue. Right. Uh, it is a fact that less than 1% of crypto is used for illicit purposes or for illegal activity. And because permissionless blockchains are open, 
it's easier to trace crypto transactions. I mean, uh, very uh, uh, widely reported, the colonial pipeline uh, uh, hijack by uh, by hackers that, uh, you know, demanded crypto uh, as ransom. Kind of funny how it was reported uh, all over the place, Dara, that, you know, this is what they did. But you don't see many reports about the fact that they recovered essentially all of the crypto right. that uh, was uh, is supposed to be paid in ransom. So uh, these things, we've got to have more people, not just uh, in the industry, but here in Congress, you know, and in, in our state legislatures and in the press that are every time this false narrative garbage is being spewed out there, there has to be somebody that immediately comes back and says, that's actually patently false. Right, so, right. Anyway, I, I got it off my chest. More. Other than that, I don't have an opinion about that. It just drives me insane. No, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, it, it's interesting, too, because I recently read that um, the current administration is weighing an executive order on cryptocurrencies that would task federal agencies with, one, studying and offering recommendations on relevant areas of, crypt of cryptocurrencies. And they're also considered considering appointing a White House crypto czar. So I have two questions for you regarding this. One, aren't we long past the studying phase and on to the action phase? I mean, we, studying was years ago. And two, aren't the terms in, a, in and of themselves, executive order and crypto czar, the very antithesis of decentralization? Dara, can you add CBDC to that? I mean, this is the same thing. Look, words mean things. Words, words are very important. And uh, I don't know if these, this administration, if those that oppose, uh, you know, this type of innovation, those that oppose this type of individual uh, expression uh, of uh, not only our, uh, our greatest dreams, but of, of realizing those dreams by improving our economic stature, uh, which this whole area can provide to I would argue millions of Americans who have uh, not been traditional uh, uh, users of our financial system. Uh, look, uh, earlier this month, you're right. Uh, the president announced he's considering an executive order that would direct federal agencies to propose rules for the industry. Uh, why? I guess uh, the point of the order is to supposedly iron out what regulator has jurisdiction over what. Uh, when it comes to crypto, right? Uh, despite what uh, uh, Chair Gensler has been arguing about the SEC. Uh, in my uh, observation, every government regulator here, whether it's the SEC, the FDIC, the CFTC, all of these alphabet soup of bureaucracies that uh, constitute the executive branch here, every one of them, wants to have jurisdiction over this industry some. Yeah. And the lack of defined terms uh, can leave the industry vulnerable to manipulation, even from our own government. I mean, take, for example, again, I'm going to pick on Chair Gensler, but in testifying before the Senate and then in testifying before our House Financial Services Committee in the House, he referred to something called stable value coins. Dara, there's no such thing. In effect, he was trying to expand the uh, the definition, in my my opinion, and I think it's pretty clear 
uh, he was taking the term stable coin, which he wants to have jurisdiction over, uh, and he was calling them stable value coins. Why? Because the SEC has jurisdiction over something called stable value funds. Uh, it's, it's like we got, we got to watch the fox uh, who's uh, watching the hen house uh, because we just can't trust what they're doing. And allegedly, the draft text of the executive order that uses the term cryptos are uh, it really has a negative connotation as well, if you think about it. Right. So we just have to be, again, vigilant. We have to understand that uh, you got to be listening. You got to be paying very close right. attention because the words do mean something. So it will be, I see we're getting the two minute mark here. So I, I, I want to end just on a couple of points focusing on what this really means for democracy at large. And you had some really made some really interesting points at some of the recent GameStop hearings, um, you know, where you talked about this and, and just just talking about democratizing the whole investment process overall and leveling the playing field for retail investors. And I, I and I kind of wanted to end on on that note and why is it so important now that you know that you know, especially with all of these, you know, false Bitcoin narratives floating around and, you know, the talk from rulemakers that investors need protecting from cryptocurrency investing. How could we ensure that, you know, your thoughts of, you know, of liberty and democracy that you had stated at the hearings and that whole mindset is echoed now in cryptocurrency le legislation going forward? Well, first, you got to be involved. You can't do what I did for so many years while I was raising my family, which is say, all right, I got to raise my family. I got a business to run. You know, those guys in the government, they'll take care of stuff. I, I've got to focus on this. Well, guess what? If you sit back and you let them take care of it, you may not like what the result is. And I think we've reached a whole new level of government intrusion into our lives, of government regulation of our lives. Uh, of government, frankly, frustrating our ability to create the opportunities that not only benefit us and our families, but everybody around us. This is the idea of the uh, the American dream. You, you play by the rules, you work hard, you too can climb that economic ladder of success and have a great life. And uh, I think that's what this industry offers. Uh, here's where I'm confident, uh, and I have to be, because I'm a glass half full uh, kind of person, Dara. Americans are smart. They don't need their government serving as their financial advisor. Uh, I do think we have to work really hard on this side of the elected uh, ledger. Those of us that have election certificates, we got to make sure that crypto legislation that gets drafted is drafted with the mindset that these assets are, for the most part, commodities. So there's only a very specific need for investor protection. And that's when securities uh, contracts or securities regulations come into play. Uh, I guess uh, if you ask why, it's because if I decide to buy a car and that car depreciates the second I drive it off the lot, that was my decision and my conscious choice. Americans can make their own informed decisions. They don't need people like Gary Gensler protecting them. Decentralized technologies like crypto are open source, meaning that all users can find the underlying code, study it, and confirm that they like the way a certain project operates or they don't like the way a certain project operates. 
Americans have all the information at their fingertips to make informed choices, Dara. And as I told you, I think before we started the interview, I just uh, I believe that, you know, Rome fell long before the, uh, the citizens knew or cared. Uh, our government risks becoming less than relevant in this area if we do not start to do what's right in creating a, a clear, light touch set of regulations that allows innovators and entrepreneurs to flourish uh, in this country, in this uh, in this industry. And that's what I'm going to be committed to do. And I hope everybody who's watching this thing is contacting their elected official at the federal level and saying, look, get on board, start to understand this is the future and the future has arrived. Well, again, we appreciate everything that you're doing in the space. And, and I couldn't agree more. And I and on an optimistic note, I think it is blockchain that will save us. So in many different ways. Many different ways. Yep. Thank you.